Hi there, and welcome back to I Hadn't Considered That. I am your host, Vanessa Tori, and today we are going to be talking about something that is a bit of a heavy topic, but in a way that is very beautiful and educational and shed some light on something that is very seemingly common to a lot of people, and that is the experience of trauma and how we heal from that and what we can do to move forward in our lives in a very positive way after experiencing something that has been very hurtful and damaging to us. And my guest today is Julie McAllister, who is a therapist who has been treating trauma patients for many years and specifically with a modality called EMDR. And if you are not familiar with that, we talked about it in the episode with Natalie Merrill, where we talked about grief because both Natalie and I have gone through EMDR therapy, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And this is a treatment that is unbelievable. And I can tell you this from personal experience. And I just want to take a minute to share with you what it's been like so that when you get to the part of the episode where we are talking to Julie about how we really get into the core of who we are and what has happened to us so that we can become people that can move on from our pasts. I want you to sort of understand a little bit just on a personal side of that is EMDR is a therapy that takes the different parts of your brain and allows you to kind of separate them and peel back some layers so that everything connects on a very different level. So for me, what that looks like, and and Julie was wonderful in connecting me with a therapist to do this treatment with me. And she did the same thing for uh for Natalie. And so what I do is sitting with a therapist. And when you're trying to process what's happened to you in your past and things that are holding you back from living a life that you want to, if you are like me at all, you can try and focus on something, but noise comes into your head, right? Like, so I always joke around that I am the world's worst yoga student ever because I want to be good at yoga. I want to do yoga. I want to focus. I want my brain to be present and I'm doing the poses and the ladies talking and I feel connected and like somewhere in the back of my head, like Elton John starts singing. And now I'm just doing yoga poses while I'm singing Elton John songs in the back of my head. I know that sounds totally weird, but it's just that odd noise that comes into you that separates you from where your mind needs to go in order to heal. So what EMDR does is EMDR allows you to almost hyper-focus on what you're thinking. It takes your brain and distracts it in a slight way. So whether it's holding two different paddles that buzz or tapping on your legs in a different rhythm or following something on a spectrum with your eyes so that part of your brain, that part that sings the Elton John lyrics while you're doing yoga is distracted enough to be able to focus on what you're working on with your therapist 
to be able to get into the heart of what you really need to talk about. And this has been life-changing for me because whenever I've done this treatment, I've had these amazing moments where I'm talking about something and I have like this gasping moment of, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, everything makes sense. Everything where it's behaviors or thought patterns or processes or perceptions or misconceptions, all of a sudden make sense. And tapping in that allows me to sort of reprogram that negative thinking into something that's positive. So I wanted to bring Julie onto the show so that she could talk a little bit about trauma, because I think that there is a gap in what a lot of us are experiencing, whether we are someone who understands there have been things that have happened to me and I need to deal with that and process that, but I don't know how to the people that have been through that tunnel, punched out the other side and are now standing in the sunshine, able to say, look, there's a way through and I've done it and you can. So it's just a wonderful starter conversation into what we deal with and what we can do to move forward in our lives. And so I really hope that you take this as an opportunity to hear what Julie says and to find some commonality either in understanding yourself or those around you or someone that you love that has been through some hardships that they've had to work beyond so that you can sort of understand that all of it is normal. There's psychology and there's physiology and all of that is just part of the human experience. And so I want you to keep an open mind going into this conversation and really try to attach to all of the the knowledge that Julie is sharing. And it's very wonderful how she does so in such a personal manner. And it was a beautiful conversation to have. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. So thank you so much for being with me here today and sharing this space with both Julie and myself. I have a wonderful person with me today that has a lot of professional experience in working with people who have been treated for trauma. So I would love to introduce you to Julie. Julie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello. I am a trauma therapist. I've been working in trauma for, oh my goodness, probably, um, well, I want to say I've been working in, in mental health for over 20 years. And I think that that's been trauma all along the way, uh, just because everyone has some level of trauma. Uh, but I've been specifically focused in the field of trauma for probably about eight years. Um, no, longer than that, because I worked at the HIV clinic also for five and a half years. Been working in trauma for a long time. Uh, I became trained in EMDR about 10 years ago, and that really changed my practice. Um, the EMDR training is a is a two weekend long basic training, it's called. Mm-hmm. And after the first weekend training, um, at the end of the weekend, you start doing some practice where you are the client and where you're the therapist and you break off into groups and you, you know, you work on some real things. And it became really clear to me um, during that break off group that, wow, 
I need my own EMDR therapist because I have so much to work through. And yeah. And so immediately that night I was looking up EMDR therapists online and I got scheduled with one, you know, very quickly and started doing my own EMDR work. And they have you even after the very first weekend training, even before you're fully trained, they have you go back and start doing the training with your clients right away. And I'd been working at an HIV clinic and I'd been seeing, you know, same clients every week, week after week, um, for even a couple years at that point. And it seemed like changes weren't really happening. Okay. So after I got the training and I started working with them that Monday, right after the training, I was blown away at the changes people were able to make. I mean, it was, it was just so exciting and it really ignited my passion for it. So tell me if you could share with folks who may not be familiar, um, Natalie Merrill and I touched on it in the episode where we talked about grief because she had gone through EMDR therapy and um, I've done EMDR therapy. So for those that maybe missed that episode, can you tell us a little bit about what EMDR therapy is and how that might connect into a very specific way to treat trauma? Sure, sure. Um, So EMDR therapy, first of all, is an evidence-based therapeutic modality. And so what that means is there's a lot of research out there that uh, validates the efficacy of the treatment. And it is a type of treatment that helps you kind of incorporate um, both sides of your brain, different areas of your brain where trauma might be stuck and um, kind of get it unstuck and and allow it to flow. So you work through um, traumatic memories or you may work through um, belief systems that you have um, that really develop out of traumatic memories. Um, and to be able to resolve them in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to. Gotcha. So yeah, it's really a complex thing to explain. <laughs> sure. Well, there's a lot that goes into it. And it is, um, in my experience, I know anybody who's ever done EMDR therapy, it is, um, it's just, it's revolutionary to somebody mm-hmm. that is being treated. What happens with this, it's like, therapy on steroids Mm -hmm. um, is how I try to explain it to people. It's Mm -hmm. I've done therapy for many, many years. And I feel like once I started doing the EMDR, it was like one session was six months of therapy Mm -hmm. and the aha moments were so incredible. And then I realized that I start having them on my own Mm -hmm. where I just seeing the world in a completely different manner. And it's absolutely beautiful. But I want to go back to what we're really and initially talking about here, because I think that there are many times that the word trauma or the the phrase PTSD is used um, and obviously a (laughs) non-clinical sense, or it's thrown around very flippantly. And I think Mm -hmm. that I've had some issues with that in the past where somebody will joke around about saying, oh, I've got PTSD about that because they don't necessarily really understand exactly what that is, that it's become sort of this common term um, for it. And understanding that also, the other side of that is that trauma is incredibly common Mm -hmm. in folks. So what do we mean when we say trauma, when we talk about someone having experienced trauma, what do we mean? Yeah, well, there are some different types of trauma 
Um, first of all, so trauma is really simply defined as a threat that we're not prepared to handle. So that may um, be something that we experience with acute trauma, so a sudden sudden event that is unpredictable, like a threat or like a threat of life or serious bodily injury. So uh-huh. that would be your acute trauma. We have chronic trauma, which is our repeated or prolonged events. Uh-huh. Um, that can include bullying, abuse, domestic violence, neglect. Neglect is a big one because it's not only what did happen, but what didn't happen. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and then there's complex trauma where we have just layers of trauma. Um, where there are multiple events and there's really no escape from the trauma. Gotcha. So what happens to us when we experience trauma, whether it is an acute trauma where it is a one-time occurrence or whether it's something that has happened persistently to us in our lives, what happens to us physically? Because I know that it's sometimes seen as just a, a mental health issue that, oh, we you can just make a decision to not feel traumatized or not to feel triggered, but there's a lot of physiological things that are happening in a traumatized brain. Tell me more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when a traumatic experience happens, and let's talk about acute trauma okay. um, for right now, our sympathetic nervous system is engaged. Okay. And that means our alert system is preparing us um, to fight or flee, right? Okay. Uh, primarily. So in that, when that happens, our heart races (laughs) and uh, blood pressure increases. You might have, your blood flow is redirected in your body and you might have clammy hands or feet or something like that. You might look pale or you might look flushed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our pupils are dilated, uh, dilated, which allows us to really look around and see better, right? We're going back to a, a really early, more of a primitive response that we don't experience so much now in our day-to-day lives as maybe our ancestors did. But so the response is very primitive. Um, Blunt pain, the feeling of blunt pain is compromised, right? So people are in an accident or something like that happens. They might not actually feel that pain Uh in the moment until later after the effect. Um, And you're on edge, uh, aware and observant in that. Your body is uh, prioritizing what it needs to do to survive. Okay. Anything unneeded is placed on the back burner like your digestive system shuts down, Uh um, your reproductive and growth hormones are halted. When I have had issues where I have been triggered Mm -hmm. and I am having some sort of trauma-based response to something, one of the things that has always happened to me is that I I don't eat. I think that people respond to our responses in strange ways. And I had somebody that was really sort of bothered by the fact that if something happened, like I would, I wouldn't eat for like two, three days. Mm -hmm. I just, I could not eat. And it was seen as like this sort of crazy behavior. Like I was going on some like, you know, starvation quest. I was like, no, like I am physically incapable of eating. When I went through my divorce, I had protein shakes every day Mm -hmm. because like I couldn't chew food. Like this was all I could do. So I I don't think that a lot of people necessarily understand that when you have traumatic experiences, when you have traumatic memories and your body reacts in a certain way, it's not voluntary. Right. I mean, our our bodies are machines, right? Our our bodies, our, our brains, it's an entire circuit board. And so that kind of leads me into 
the treatment of this. So we have all of this that goes on in our, our brains. We have all of this storage of the traumatic memories that are so deep down inside of us. So how do we, how do we deal with that? Because I think that there's a lot of people that have experienced trauma that are just now getting to the point where they're allowing themselves mm -hmm. to say something really horrible happened to me. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should deal with that. So how do we go about, um, or how I should say, how do you, how do you as a therapist go about trying to treat that trauma? And, and what is that experience that we need to go through from both the client and the provider side? How do we get there with the treating of the trauma? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I mean, the way that I treat trauma uh, with somebody is first developing a relationship of trust mm -hmm. and allowing them to experience um, me and the space that I'm in as a safe place. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really huge. Um, when we've been through a lot of trauma, it feels like we can't trust people. It feels like, you know, or can feel that way or that we're not safe. So um, that's the very beginning of any good therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. um, then we're looking at, you know, what is the trauma history and are we still reliving the trauma? Are, you know, are we triggered in the current moment um, where it feels like the trauma is still happening? Can yeah. I ask a couple questions about that? Yeah. How does that, how does trauma show up in our adult lives? So even if it's something that happened to us 20 years ago, mm -hmm. um, if I'm having issues, and, and I, I have, it, it wasn't until much later in life that I realized that I had certain behaviors, patterns of behaviors or trains of thought that were holding me back. And so if, if somebody's been through something that could be considered traumatic, how might that manifest itself in our lives? What are things that people could look for to say, okay, this this may be issues related to trauma that I might want to work on a little. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it can show up in, you know, um, perceptions of, about the world that you may have like sort of a rigid perception about certain things that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, this always means this like a cognitive inflexibility. Okay. Right. Um, and sometimes people can be kind of rigid in the way that they react to a situation. There can be this hypervigilance that happens where you're always on alert. Your, you know, your amygdala is there to protect you in a time where you actually do need to fight or flee. Uh, but it may feel like it needs to be on alert, even in a, a, a normal situation. It might mm -hmm. feel like you're in that traumatic situation again. Mm -hmm. um, so you can be triggered by certain thoughts or feelings um, certain reactions or patterns or things that come up in relationships you could be true. It could show up that way. It can show up as an emotional numbness, dissociation, okay. checking out, being checked out. Um, and, and dissociation can be seen in forms, you know, we might numb out on purpose, substance abuse. We look at, you know, all the addictions, all of the sexual addictions, shopping addictions, all of those kinds of things. It can show up in those kinds of ways too. When you're just trying to numb and disconnect from the experience of day-to-day -day life, which can be really hard when you're living in the past. Okay. Um, how else? Irritability, depression, social isolation, lack of motivation, negative thinking. I'm sure there's a lot of people that just heard that list because I'm sitting here hearing this list and I'm like going down the checklist in my brain going, oh, I used to do that. I used to do that. Yeah. I used to do that. I feel like before I started to 
do some of my own, you know, work on myself, I just thought that was how I was, right? I, I had normalized my own unhealthy behavior as just sort of who I am. That's and what we do. how do we get from this place where we have all of these thoughts and all of these perceptions that are connected to experiences that we have that are now, it's like it's a perpetual cycle. Like we had things that happen to us that create mindsets and perceptions and behaviors that then keep moving us forward that creates negative experiences in our lives that just circle around and around and around. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we're trying to curb these behaviors, if we're trying to move our lives in a more positive way, what do we, how do we start to heal ourselves? What is some of the work that we need to do? So if, if I come to you and I'm ready to, yeah. um, to work through this. So what are some of the things that I need to be ready for? How do we get this from an irrational thought or a, a misperception into something that makes sense? How do we, how do we make that journey? I think slowing down is a huge part of it, right? Because we're in this um, hypervigilant state or we're in this state where we're trying to survive in the survival mode, right? And so slowing down and um, becoming more mindful of what is happening in the present moment can really help. I talk to a lot of my clients about um, mindfulness and meditation. I mean, that's a huge okay. thing. Really being able to gain control of your thoughts and not letting them just go off into a spiral, uh, being able to catch them when okay. we're doing that. So there's, a, there's a big awareness piece that too, that, um, I think meditation can really help with. Um, but being aware that we're triggered is huge um, because you mentioned something about, you know, we just think it's normal. This is our life. This mm -hmm. is how we function in life. And so to become aware that these patterns aren't helping us mm -hmm. is huge. So I think meditation, mindfulness can help with that. Um, also getting in touch with our bodies. Okay. You know, when we experience trauma, we get disconnected from our bodies, get wrapped up in our heads. And some people that uh, experience trauma, they might not, they might be even kind of clumsy. They don't, they don't really recognize their... <laughs> You know, I'm just looking around the room and looking at all of the scars that I have in my body because I fall down all the time and now I'm feeling triggered. Uh, <laughs> tai Chi, yoga. Okay, okay. Uh, these are some things that we can do. Pilates, getting in touch with our bodies. Okay, so there. it seems like there's a lot of things that we can do that are proactive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've course, as a therapist, I'm a huge proponent, get therapy. Mm -hmm. And as an EMDR therapist, I, that's going to be my go-to always. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, step one, but there's so many other things that we can do, uh, outside of getting therapy. Um, journaling is, is something that's really great to help you just kind of capture what is, what, what am I feeling right now? And, and what does that mean? Yeah. As a writer, I'm a huge advocate for get it out of your head. Right. Absolutely. Huge. That was one of the most healing things for me. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. when I went through my divorce several years ago is that that's when I started writing again. I had not written in over a decade. 
Yes, people can become blocked. Um, I worked with somebody who he had PTSD and he was a musician and he was a former police officer and was, you know, he had experienced a horrific, horrific call and um, it changed his whole life. He ended up um, leaving his position as a first responder, but he was also a musician and he wasn't able to, to write music or play music for years. Wow. And one of the most, ooh, I'm going to cry on this one, but one of the most beautiful moments was um, he actually wrote a song for me and oh. one of my fellow therapists um, about his healing journey through the work that he had done with us. And it was so beautiful. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. So going so to music too. So the, the, the proactive side of this, um, and, and then also there's reactive things that we can do. There are ways that when we are triggered, we can take care of ourselves. And I think what for me was a aha moment was that I experienced anxiety attacks. Mm -hmm. I don't generally have anxiety throughout the day. Like it, it's not something that is just low level for me. Right. But there would be times and they were few and far between that I would have these overwhelming anxiety attacks that I had no idea what was happening to my body, to my, everything about me would shut down mm -hmm. and a, you know, slight one would be maybe four hours. And there were ones that would last 12 to 18 oh, hours Wow! of just, I am, um, my heart rate would, um, I'd check my Fitbit yeah. And I would look and my heart rate would have be for a five hour period of time, 110 beats per minute. Wow. And so, which is funny because I'm sitting here looking at my Fitbit going, oh, I burned 3,500 calories yesterday <laughs> just because my heart's pounding out of my chest. So one of the first things that I experienced that was sort of an indication that I had bigger work to do was these anxiety attacks mm -hmm. where I physically felt like there was something out of control happening. And so I had to learn how to control myself in that moment. So we talked a little bit about things that we can do to keep ourselves as a, at a calm level. If we ever have those moments, whether we're in treatment or we're not, where we have that certain heightened level where our amygdala has said, okay, you need to fight or you need to flee. What can we do in that moment? Especially because if we don't have our therapist sitting right in front of us when we're having that moment, what do we do? to help control ourselves, to bring ourselves down to the point where we can then focus on work that needs to happen later. Right, right. Uh, well, I love that you mentioned those panic attacks, really, because they uh, come out of nowhere. And mm -hmm. often there's no known trigger. And that's what's really scary about them, that you don't understand why you're feeling that way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, you know, I, I mean, first and foremost is breathing. Try to gain control of your breathing, right? Your breathing is probably going to be faster, might be more shallow. So start taking some calming, deep breaths. You can do a series of, of breath work. There's some things that you can do. There's um, box breathing. There's um, breathing that's associated with different counts, things like that. That's going to be a great way to try and give you a moment. Um, and then there's certain relaxation things that you can do. Um, there's... A variety of different ones that I teach my patients that uh, 
can be really helpful and, and, and it's important to practice them too on a regular basis so that that way you can access them in a time when you're panicked. If you don't practice them, mm -hmm. um, you're not, it's not going to be your go-to. Right. So if you're doing the pre-work mm -hmm. of the mindfulness, the meditation, and, and in order to have sort of that inner conversation with yourself, that that's the pre-work mm -hmm. to make the during work actually accessible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because 100%. that makes, that makes total sense to me because when I experienced these, these panic attacks, it was, um, I would do things that like I shook my hands a lot. Like I was trying to, to shake, literally shake something out of me. And had I known about what you were talking about with the, the body mobility with mm -hmm. whether it was yoga or, to do any sort of Tai Chi in that moment would have been exceptionally helpful mm -hmm. to me. But that was my first indication that there was something wrong. What I did, and this is just how geeky I am, because I am seriously geeky. Anybody that knows me for five minutes knows that I have a spreadsheet for damn near everything and it's color coded. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <laughs> what I did is I started going back and I thought about all of the times that I felt that way. And first of all, not even having a name for it, not even knowing that what I'm having is a panic attack. And so I looked at the things that happened to me right before it. And then what I thought about obsessively during that mm -hmm. to see if I could find the commonality and oh, there it was. That's really methodical. I'm super impressed. Yeah. Well, because I'm the type of person that, and, and I encourage anybody to do this. If there's something that not right within you that you feel is not right. And I don't mean that in a judgmental sense. I'm not saying that, oh, you're broken, yeah. but, but you know that there's something that's mm -hmm. off. Because I don't off. know anybody who thinks that they're a perfectly healthy human being. I felt like I owed it to myself to figure out what that was that was not working right mm -hmm. and, and why and to try and get past that. And again, I'm a nerd. I want, I want the data. And so to go back and try and figure out and then what I would started doing, this is even geekier, I can't believe I'm even admitting this, is that after I had the panic attack, I would do like a post-mortem of my panic attack. A debrief yeah, for yourself. Yeah, I debriefed myself. Yes. So what were all of the things that I panicked about? Because you're really trying to find a solution. Absolutely. And and I would create them. Mm -hmm. So like I, I would have a panic attack and and... Um, the best way I can describe it is like, you're waiting for the anvil to fall out of the sky on your head and everything in your life is going to go wrong, whether it's rational or it's not in a split second and it's completely beyond your control and there is certain doom. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to go to sleep and it's the, and I'm in this space and I'm not only thinking about the thing that's triggered me in this moment, but the air conditioner turns on. Mm -hmm. And I hear the air conditioner turn on. And then I have this absolute moment of panic of that air conditioner is going to go out tomorrow. It's going to cost me $10,000 to fix it. I don't have $10,000. What's going to happen. And then I've created this entire scenario where I'm going to end up destitute pushing a shopping cart because I couldn't afford my $10,000 air conditioner. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going. Right. 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 So I need to get a spreadsheet out, try and figure out how I'm going to do that. And a simple call to a home warranty company just fixed that for me. Right. Right. Now, now I just gave them $69 a month and I'm not going to be a destitute shopping cart lady because of the air conditioner. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But, um, that connectedness of, of being able to go through that because, um, I think that 
one of the things that I've learned about trauma is that it, it takes control away from us mm -hmm. because the trauma wasn't anything that we could control. You're so right. Right? You're so right about that. And I think that that's what's so important about all of these different activities and things that you can do to bring the control back. Mm -hmm. You know, doing the, I mean, meditation is, is literally the antidote for stress. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you want to know the answer, everyone? I honestly, it's meditation. Practicing, even if you just do one minute a day, regular meditation is extremely important. My clients are so sick of me telling them that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things that I'm that also fascinates me is that changes happen to us developmentally mm -hmm. based on the time of our trauma. Early age trauma is different from trauma later in life. So if you're 45 years old and you are in a building when the bomb goes off and you see horrible things and you experience something that is a very different experience than if something happens to you when you're six, seven years old. Exactly. I mean, that's that acute trauma versus chronic trauma. Mm -hmm. So developmental trauma. How, how do we connect to that? If we're so far removed from what's happened to us. So all of a sudden we're 45 years old and there are things that happened to us when we were 10 years old. Like, how do we even begin to go back to that and, and get that back and access that? Because right. that is, well, our that memories, is right. And is I mean, it there even still? Really, it is still there. It's still there. And it may not necessarily be there in your narrative memory. You may not have the full story. Okay. You might have bits and pieces of it. Maybe there's some images there that are associated with early trauma. Maybe there isn't. Um, but there's the panic you talked about or, you know, other, just this chronic depression, mm -hmm. you know, or irritability, lack of motivation, isolation, all of those kinds of behaviors. That's where we start to recognize that there's something here that's deep. Yeah. It could be intergenerational, you know, it's old. Yeah. And so to go and to start uncovering that in, in therapy, um, we're going to start looking at patterns and when did you start to feel that way? Okay. We'll so talking, so going back to the treatment side of this, what I think is really interesting is some of the data that's out there regarding the rates, um, at which people are willing and do seek treatment mm -hmm. and particularly men are less likely to seek treatment for depression, anxiety, trauma, um, anything that is really troubling for them than women. And I think that the article that I had um, read was that two out of three women who acknowledge the fact that they should probably get help actually do get help, but only one out of three men will make that same leap. Wow. And so that there's still a lot that needs to happen for us to get there. One of the things that I hear from people um, all the time, reasons for not seeking the therapy, getting the treatment is twofold. One, oh, oh, it's really expensive to do that. And um, I think that it's an investment in ourselves. And yeah, healthcare can be very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is, People have had a bad experience with a therapist before, or they have no idea 
how to find a therapist and they're scared to actually go sit with someone. So for folks that are out there that are listening, that are saying, okay, I have a lot of these things. I experience these things. Maybe I should talk to someone. How do they start? How do they find a provider? What do they need to look for? What are ways that, that you can share where people can get connected to that treatment that they need and even the particular kind of treatment? Mm-hmm. So what do you recommend for people to investigate? I think, you know, for example, if somebody is looking for an EMDR therapist, which is, you know, as you know, that is is definitely what I find is just such an amazing way to treat trauma, um, not just because of the EMDR protocol itself, but um, it's a framework where we can weave in a lot of other therapeutic modalities like somatic experiencing, mindfulness, things like that, Um, doing work with parts of self. All of that is interwoven in the EMDR protocol. So it is a very um, powerful framework that um, will really allow us so many amazing opportunities to heal, so many different ways in which we can tackle it. So that's what I'm going to recommend is an EMDR, is finding an EMDR therapist. How do you do that? Uh, go to www.emdria.org, E-M-D-R-I-A.org. Look for their find a therapist link. Find somebody who is EMDR certified or higher in terms of their level of training, which would mean that they are really committed to the treatment of EMDR. They have beyond the basic training, but they have some more advanced training and a lot of hours of consultation uh, in the work. So they are very qualified. If um, you find them in that place, they're going to be more qualified. Then I would cross-check the names you get, the Psychology Today, Google, start looking for their website, learn a little bit more about the clinician and see if something resonates with you. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would start if I didn't know anyone. Um, Word of mouth is also really great. Um, just, you know, if you can talk about it, you know, that's another huge thing is the stigma. People are afraid to talk about it. Um, you can also follow, um, therapists. If you start putting in therapists, EMDR therapists, trauma therapists, if you start putting that in your Instagram or Facebook and start, um, looking through social media to connect and follow different therapists, Mm -hmm. you can see who resonates with you that way as well. Mm -hmm. Is there opportunity for people to reach out to a therapist, to connect with them to say, Hey, I'm considering this. I'd like to know more about you to see if we might be able to work together. I think that is, is that, is that common for people to do that? I think it is. I I know at my practice, we offer a free 15 minute consultation. Oh, cool. So, you know, if you were to go to our practice website, we have seven, seven clinicians. Now, um, we have the bios of every clinician on there and we, we include a little about ourselves and what our training and background is. And, and there's a picture. And so you can kind of just take a minute to just reflect and just somebody kind of speak to me and then you can call and um, see if you can get a, a consultation set up. So yeah, absolutely. And just see if you're fit. Yeah. Cause it's, it's frustrating. I've had, obviously I've had amazing experiences and I've had not so amazing experiences. And um, I, I can understand that it is daunting for someone who's never um, gone into treatment, who's never sought professional help to try and work through things. 
but it's hugely beneficial. And I have, especially like I've been doing the EMDR, I think since April mm -hmm. and it's just twice a month at this point, but what the changes that have happened in me, I, I can't, I mean, I, I can't say enough wonderful things about it. And obviously you were so wonderful as to give me the recommendation to, for my therapist for who I'm seeing and who I'm working with. But um, it, it's so worth it for me. And, and I hope others feel that same way that the, the investment in your own mental space. And one of the other things that I find very important and that I, I want to impart on people is that when we seek treatment, it not only benefits ourselves, but I feel like I have made myself a better person for everyone around me, which was also part of my motivation because I knew that if I didn't fix these issues that were manifesting themselves in relationships, particularly romantic relationships for me, I was never going to get to the point where I could be in a healthy, happy, loving relationship until I could figure out all of these things that were preventing me from being in one in the past. 100%. And so now I feel like I have made myself a better partner for somebody down the line. So men listening to this, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> And so it, it is a huge, um, it's a huge leap of faith to do it, mm -hmm. but you're doing incredible work and it's, um, I understand it's gotta be incredibly hard for you to, to do that, but gratifying. It's gratifying. It is not incredibly hard. Yeah. I, I hear that a lot from people. And, um, one of the big parts of the mission of my practice is to reduce the stigma associated with therapy. And, and one of the things that I hear from people are when I tell them what I do and, oh, it must be really hard to work with those people. Those people. Just like, wait, you mean like the people like you and me? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because we're really difficult. Right. Because it goes back to what I said in the beginning, mm -hmm. is that there is nobody that gets to just skate through life completely and totally unscathed. No. No. There, there are not. And, and it's, um, I know a lot of people who have shut down that part where they just choose not to feel it. But it's similar to what Natalie Merrill and I talked about when we talked about the grief and the, the loss of her father is that you can't shut down one emotion. Right. You can't just Oh, I loved when, when you guys said that. I can't remember if it was her or you that said that, but it was so true. Yeah. You don't get to choose what you shut down. Right. right. So if, if that's we're disassociating, uh -huh. yeah, you got it. If we're disassociating, it is we're dissociating from everything. We're shutting everything out. We can't just choose that we're just going to choose joy our whole lives mm -hmm. because it just doesn't work that way. And I think that I would rather feel everything and learn how to deal with all of the feelings. And I joke around that I am a very um, sensitive person, highly feeling person, highly emotional person. I have 80, 897 feelings and I have to feel at least 42 every single day. And uh, which was really fun for me to learn that they really only last about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you have another feeling. That's, that's exciting. Again, everything that I thought may seem weird. 
is like totally normal things that everybody experiences. We just need to go to a professional and ask them, how do we deal with the things that are normal? And I, I think that is so, it can be so normalizing, uh, you know, going back to what you were saying about that must be so hard for me to do the work that I do. I just find, I love it because I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not alone in the feelings that I have here. It's, you know, it's very validating. And I think it's validating for my clients as well to be able to talk with somebody who gets it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that this is, we're all experiencing this trauma in various degrees. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and talking about this and providing a little bit of education. And I really hope that um, folks that have, are listening either feel connected to what you've said because they have done their own treatment and their own work or those that may be considering it. It's the little nudge that they wanted to hear to get them in that right space. So I appreciate everything that you've, you've done today. You've got it. I, I actually had a couple of books that I'd like to recommend. Absolutely. Uh, we'll link them in the show notes. What okay. are those great resources? Um, one is called What Happened to You. Mm -hmm. Have you heard you smiling? It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love that book. So it's by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry. And it talks about really what happened to you, not just what's wrong with you, you mm -hmm. know, or as opposed to what's wrong with you, which is kind of our societal belief about trauma. And I personally recommend the audiobook because me growing up in, you know, the 80s, I watched Oprah Winfrey on TV. Oh, sure. And in the, <laughs> I, I love books where the author narrates. And yeah. so Bruce and Oprah are having a conversation throughout the book. It's very conversational. It's really easy to listen to. And it feels very calming, you yeah. know, to, to hear her voice. I love her so much. So um, that is a really great resource. And then I also want to mention The Body Keeps the Score. Where's your copy of that? Right yeah. there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got to have it. Bessel van der Kolk. Mm -hmm. That one is such a, a, an amazing book. And he is still uh, just such a huge, huge name in the field of trauma. Yeah. We will go ahead and put the links to that in the show notes. We'll also... Um, I'll do a post on Instagram with pictures of the books so that people can see them. So if you are following me on Instagram, go over there and check there and you can see what the books actually look like. We'll give some information there as well, but they are incredible resources. There's a lot out there. So even if you're not necessarily ready to take the leap into treatment, maybe a good place to start is to just gather some resources together and start doing a little learning on your own, which hopefully opens up a beautiful door into some healing. You got it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast, where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon.